Hey, hey, this is Jay Mendez, and you are listening to The Beat of My Drum. This is episode number 16, and I'm here with Greg Alvarez from TDLR. How are you doing today, Greg? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. And can you tell us what TDLR is? It's a state agency, and the acronyms is for Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation. All right, great. And uh, what that means for you all, listeners, is that this guy is big time. So he does a lot of the uh, work for the combative sports in the state of Texas. Combative sports meaning uh, boxing, uh, MMA, what other kind of combative sports? Anything has to do with striking, kickboxing, Muay Thai, uh, MMA, uh, now, we don't regulate grappling or nothing like jiu-jitsu, but if it comes to hitting, we regulate it. Great. And what is your role with the TDLR? I'm the program manager, which is, which is the combat of sports program manager. What I do, I oversee the whole program. I have seven uh, full-time employees that help me regulate the sport throughout the state. That's just like uh, going out to uh, basically going out to oversee the events, make sure that all the rules are followed, that the fees are collected, and that uh, uh, the general safety of the public and the contestants are protected. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, that that's a lot of important stuff to do, and, and you have a very important role in the business. Uh, you see you see him uh, uh, ringside at a, lot of, at a lot of events. I know you haven't noticed, but uh, this is a, an, a very important job for the safety of the fighters, uh, safety of, of their, their camp, uh, and really at the same time, it just it, they keep the process going, they keep everything going at these events. How long have you been associated with the fight game? Uh, well, I started at 18. I used to be a fighter myself at 18 and then uh, was a trainer, a trainer the kids and uh, amateur fighters, professional fighters, and then... Uh, one day I started fighting myself in uh, these tough man contests. And uh, I've done that for about four years. And after that, my boss back then with TDLR said, you know what, come work for me, Biggin. Well, that's what his nickname for me was, was Biggin. Uh-huh. And uh, I started working for him ever since then. I've been with him and I'm 20-something plus years doing this work of combat sports, which you know, a lot of people, when you say combat sports, they don't realize that, the what everybody recognizes us by is the boxing commission, but there's no exactly. boxing commission. It's the you no know, because it's the the combat of sports department. Yeah, and that's why I, I didn't want to confuse the the listeners either. I know that you know anytime you've asked me about uh, people around have asked me about my father in law. They see him on TV at these pay per view events. Well, Greg's right there. They always say he's and, and I, I wrongfully say that he's part of the boxing commission, but in reality, I mean, they do all combative sports in the state. What is was this always your passion uh, when you started your career? Just the fight, the fight game, and and what keeps you going, and what motivates you about you know this particular industry? Because there's a lot of tough guys that you work with. I know you're a tough guy at the same at the same time, but I mean, you're you're kind of in it. In, you know, the glitz and the glamour on TV does not uh, actually show what kind of grind y'all put through, especially with these fighters. There's just a lot of tough talk, a lot of tough people out there uh, that you work with. So how does that go for you? Well, just first part of your question is 
I've been around it, you know, basically all my life. My father was a boxer. Most of my brothers are boxers. One of my brothers ended up making it uh, as alternate to the Olympic Games. He didn't get to fight, but no, he was the first Hispanic uh, heavyweight national champion. Uh, and uh, he he won a two years, three years runner-up. But we've always been part of the boxing game. I just, you know, they would, everybody asked me, how did I get this job? You know, it just I was at the right place at the right time. You know, when my boss back then asked me to come help him out because the sport was growing so much and it was just hammering in there by himself along with some contract people. So I got in there with him and just the passionate of the, the sport. It was it, it is fun. It's a fun job. You know, you get to see a lot of people, but the only time you really rest is the day of the fight. Because up, leading up to the fight, that's when you're doing the research on the fighter because you're really looking out for the safety of the fighter. There's been some trouble accidents in boxing throughout the United States, and we try to keep that from happening here in Texas. So our passion is to keep these people safe, uh, keep good fights coming to Texas, and even just the training of the officials. You know, that's the last thing we want to see is, oh, that was horrible refereeing, judging. We try to find the best or even train them to be the best. And that's that's great you, you bring that up. <clears throat> I think in recent years, um, from my experience, uh, well, from my recollection, the I believe it was uh, Canelo and Lada, uh, and, and that kind of got some, you know, negative feedback on the judging and things like that like are, are what what uh, role do you all play in in that part and do you have to ever answer any questions uh, about the judges and 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 about the calls of of a, of a fight well uh every individual who judges really they got their own line of sight when they're judging a fight so, you know, uh, usually there's one judge across from the other one, and the other one's opposite. He ain't got nobody across from him. So sometimes you see little variance in that scorecard. Uh, but when people ask you questions, you, know, you, you can't answer for what somebody saw. You know, that person would have to answer to me as, you know, because I'm going to ask him, what did you see that I didn't see? Because I'm, I'm not an official judge, but I'm looking at the fight. I'm seeing the same fight they're seeing. And... Uh, what I also do when I'm watching the fight, I'm making sure they're paying attention, making sure they're getting distracted. Otherwise, you know, I get the authority to pull them and put another person in that chair to finish out that judging. It's never been done, but it's came close a couple of times. But I usually make sure these guys are alert, awake, and ready to give me a good job. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So you actually have the authority if a judge is not doing his job, maybe not paying attention or, I don't know, on his phone or just – not focused on the fight you have the ability to have him pulled yes wow that's awesome uh well that's good to hear and i know greg's no nonsense so he's gonna make sure that we get the best fights in texas uh, I, I could promise you that and going back to what you said about some of the dangers of, that the fighters face one big thing that i've always been curious about is weight cutting so tell us about the dangers of weight cutting for the fighter because you know one uh, one day, like today, they're you know 160. The next day, they're 147, 146. I think that's a dangerous thing. I don't know. Like, what, what's your opinion on that? Well, a lot of these massive uh, weight drops that happens is they just dry themselves out, and the danger behind that is you're you're ruining, you're really damaging your body, you know, for future <coughs> in the future. You know, you're damaging your liver, your kidneys. 
But when fight time comes along, there's not enough time to rehydrate to put that fluid back around your brain. Because a lot of the, the damage that happens is when you're getting hit, your brain is bouncing back and forth. And the fluid you got in your brain basically stops the brain from the impact happening so much as, you know, going through the water, hitting the wall, or just going straight hitting the wall of the head. And uh, so we really look out for dehydration. Uh, basically, it starts at the weigh-in. When they stand up on the scale, whether they're swaying or their skin is clammy, and then the, the doctors, we got a real good set of uh, you know, high-quality physicians that uh, do pre-fight physicals, post-fight physicals, all these fighters before they even step in the ring. And a lot of times, what people don't see is a lot of these fights get scratched before that fight happens because they got the authority to scratch a fight if the person is dehydrated or shows signs of dehydration. Yeah, and I've, I've been to a few weigh-ins. I've been to a few fights with uh, my father-in-law, and I've watched some fights. And at the weigh-in, some of these guys just look totally out of shape. You know, they're just there for a check or they show up not ready and then sometimes they, they get scratched. They they get scratched late. So how does that process go? Is it their trainer? Is it just you? Is it your your office? How does that go when you, you scratch someone off off of the card? Well, the, the only reason some would get scratched off was would be a safety reason, and uh, whether it's they didn't make weight, the weight was too high for the opponent they're going to be fighting, or you know they're above the five percent rule, and if somebody weighs in over the five percent over their contract weight that fight is automatically disqualified. They don't even get a chance to make weight. There's a weight variance on every fight. So say you were 147, the most pounds you can give away is seven pounds. So okay. the other guy got to be within that seven pounds. But then you got to look how much pounds they're going to gain after they weigh in. So there's a lot of determining factors whether you scratch a fight and not scratch a fight. But uh, I can tell you right now here in Texas, uh, I would say it's a high percentage that they usually come in with them weight, and uh, like every state got dehydration problems, and, and you know I don't call it a problem here in Texas because really they know that we keep an eye on it. So usually when we got something like that happens just when these out of town fighters who don't know the rules of Texas yet. And I remember a few years ago, it was uh, Manny Pacquiao and uh, Miguel Cotto. They fought in Dallas at the AT and T Stadium. It was maybe like four or five years ago. It was probably during. Pacquiao's run as one of the top fighters. Uh, there was no no wrongdoing, but I remember Bobby, uh, my father-in-law, was in there, and one of the fighters was drinking like a, a tea or something. And the guys on the TV, they were like, well, they need to look into that and this and that. Like, And I remember you all were looking into what, uh, I think it was Cotto or something, was drinking. Margarito. It was, it was Margarito. Okay, it was Margarito. So w- w- what's that about? Like, what, 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 Can they have anything before the fight? Or well, the inspectors are in the dressing room. They can't uh, have no illegal substance, no uh, illegal substance being like a, a Red Bull, anything that's you know, going to give them a boost of energy. Or uh, the only thing they could have is anything that rehydrates, you know, such as Pedialyte, Gatorade, Powerade, that kind of a drink. But nothing with, you know, uh, five-hour energy, nothing like that. That's illegal. Okay. And then okay. before, you know, uh, if they want to drink a Sprite, a Coca-Cola before the fight, I mean, that's totally up to them, but they just can't have it at the ringside. And the reasoning behind that is doctors have said that there's not enough time for it to get in their system to make a difference either before or after the fight. 
Great. And, you know, you have a lot of proud fighters out there that put in a lot of time, a lot of effort. They've quit their jobs. You know, they're away from their families. They've worked months and months to get in, in tip-top shape to maybe get a chance, a chance at a prize fight um, or just go up in the ranks. So, you know, a lot of these fighters, they, they, they're very proud people. Uh, what is it like dealing with you know, because it, it's about building a relationship. So what's it like dealing with their camps, the, the, the fighters the fighters and their camps? Could it be difficult sometimes? It's more of the camp because, uh, I mean, they really care for the fighter and they really try to look out for the fighter. But then you have camps who notice the distress signals. They're not afraid to step up on the corner and to stop the fight to save their fighters. But then you got some other camps who are so into the fight that they want to let their fighter fight to the death. You know, that's just old wise tale, but, you know, those are the ones that we just have uh, uh, not issues with, but concerns with, and we really try to push it on them and, you know, the, you know really look out for the safety of your fighter because if you don't, we will. And our inspectors are in the corner, and they see anything distressing or anything that's being said between the corner and the fighter, and we didn't hear it. He'll come let us notify us of it, and we can make the referee aware of the situation that's going on in the corner. Uh, well, speaking about that, I was going to ask a little bit later on, but we're already on the topic. There's a fine line in, you know, the, the trainer saying, you know, keep going. You can do it. Go at the body or, you know, you're almost there. You, you know, you're, you're winning this fight. And then, you know, people watching the fight on TV like, okay, no, that guy's getting his his ass kicked um and the fighters like you know you could see it so you could see he, he wants to quit so uh how does that go with you do you go to their their corner and tell them you know your I, don't, fighters the, the ref, I don't the referee is trained to keep out on the fighter I, mean, I don't know if you ever noticed the fight because they never show the face of the referee but the referee is always looking at the corners what's going on between rounds he'll step in there sometimes the doctor might be concerned, the doctor will step up in the corner and just see what's going on, see the reaction of the fighter, and see how he's acting, where to give that notice to the to the referee. Hey, you might want to think of stopping this or not. But a referee's a real alert as far as what's going on. And that's one of the instructions is after they collect the scorecards, they go back to their neutral corner and keep an eye on the corners. Now, they're not going to basically be looking at both corners, but if one fighter is beating another one pretty silly, they're going to be looking at the fighter who's getting beat. Yeah. More than they're going to be looking at the other fighters for anything of, you know, showing distress or showing that. They don't want to continue, but the corner wants them to continue. You know, sometimes that's all they need for, you know, way out to be able to, you know, then you know, quit on the stool. Yeah, and then some of these fighters, too, they'll be like, I want to go another round. I want to go another round and stuff. Uh, you know, they get all they get all upset with y'all. They You know, they, they look outside the ring at y'all like, what are y'all doing, right? They look at the ref and, uh, you know, but it's. It's just dangerous, right? I mean, he's, there's boxers that they're up, they're up against the ropes, just getting clobbered, and that's that's time to stop the fight, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, some of the smaller fights you do around Texas, you do, you know, Cowboys Dance Hall. Uh, you, you got fights there. You go down to Laredo, do the small events. You go in, to Austin, El Paso, uh, but you've had major events in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. At, uh, at Houston Toyota Center and also at the AT&T Stadium in, in Dallas. Is it difficult when it's a prize fight dealing with uh, fanfare or media? Uh, is it more difficult than working the smaller fights, or is it like the same process, same thing? We treat each fight the same. 
you know, the hoopla might be bigger on the bigger H- HBO, Showtime, the big TV, televised event shows. The hoopla might be bigger, but as far as the inner core of how a fight is put together, how the fights are approved, and how a fight happens, they're all the same. So you've seen some of the biggest fighters in San, in, uh, in Texas, you know, Canelo Alvarez, y'all were there when he was just coming up. I mean, he sold out the Alamo Dome, and he was, he was barely just a kid still. This was pre-Mayweather uh, fight. Pacquiao in MMA, you've had some big fighters as well and big fights in Houston and San Antonio. Do you see even bigger and better matchups coming to Texas in the future? Uh, how's the how's the vibe right now in the industry about the fights coming to Texas? Well, Texas, uh, because of uh, the way the the statutes and laws are around Texas and other states, that's what really draws the big fights to it. It depends, you know, they got high taxes. If uh, the revenue stream is not there, big sponsorships. So that's why a lot of the big fights land in Vegas because there's so many sponsors there that are willing to put out the big bucks. As to Texas, we don't have as many sponsors. We might, I mean, the you know, seven of the ten biggest gates have been in Texas. But if you look at the gate size, you know, their gates might be, you know, seven, eight million dollar uh, gates. As to the Nevada ones, you're pushing 20 to 30 million dollar gates just because there's more money there in order to invest. And you know, if things were to change in the law or the sponsorship, you know, such as, you know, they're to bring casinos down into Texas, we might have bigger fights just because more money would be here to sponsor these shows. Great. So it's all about the money, sponsorships, you know, who's putting the money in the events. Uh, gambling is, is a big one, too. Uh, it's a big moneymaker in Vegas. Uh, and when, you, when he says gate, he, he means the ticket ticket sales, right? Yes, ticket, ticket prices. Sales, and, ticket okay. What do you expect from the people that work under you, um, such as, you know, Bobby and Louie and uh, other people that, that work under you in the state of Texas? What do you expect of, of them? I expect them to work just as if it was me working there. What I've trained them, what I've showed them, and and showing them and everything we do is the safety of the fighter on following the rules and the laws and just being respectable of everybody. You know, treat everybody the way you want to be treated. I like that. So you were in the boxing game. You've been in the boxing game for a long time. Who is your favorite boxer of all time and why? Favorite boxer of all time was a little kid named, uh, I think his name was Jose Zarate. You know, he didn't have very much fights. I think he had like 14 fights, and he lost like six of them. But every time he came to fight, you know, he gave it 100%, no matter who he was fighting. And though know, he won most of his fights, but even the ones he lost, I mean, even though his hand wasn't raised, he wasn't upset. He knew it was a tough fight, and, you know, and he would take on them tough fights. So it doesn't have to be a big name for them to be my favorite boxers. The ones who have the biggest heart and the ones who gives it all and the ones who are just – you know, a real good technical fighter. Great. Well, uh, on that subject, about five minutes or so, three or five minutes. Uh, on that subject, talk about uh, Canelo Alvarez, what you've seen from him rise in the ranks throughout the years. You know, I know he's he's worked his butt off ever since he started off uh, at those smaller smaller fights. Um, but what what can you say about Canelo Alvarez's, Alvarez's career up until this point? Well, I mean, it proves that their hard work pays off. I mean, he got one of the biggest lucrative contracts as far as with the Zone TV network as far as the fights he got coming up. 
you know, but, you know, and uh, he's fighting all the top fighters. Yeah, every now and then you get somebody who's not top tier, uh, but that's part of the game, you know. Everybody needs a chance, you know. Sort of like even though it was a, it was a fictional character, Rocky, see how he got his chance. You know, everybody needs a chance. You know, he will be beaten one day, just like all the greats were beaten. Because uh, there's time comes when, you know, that young lion comes up and will beat him for but for right now, he's still the long, young lion, but he is getting older, and, and people are going to catch on to his style. They're going to study him, and there's, you know, right now, the, there's a fighter fighting who's going to be the one who's going to beat him. But you know what? They just keep looking at him, and, you know, every every 10 years, you got a different group of fighters you're rooting for. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because you're right. At, at this moment in time, it kind of seems invincible. You know, he took down Triple G. It was a tough first fight, second fight. I mean, you could tell he really won that fight. Now, another young gun in, uh, from the state of Texas that's amazing, one of my favorite fighters. Recently in, in an accident, a car accident, uh, Errol Spence, if you ever hear this, uh, if you hear this, then hopefully you're doing good. Hopefully you're recovering uh, you know, good, and then we get to see you in the ring soon again. But talk about Errol Spence from uh, DeSoto, Texas, South Dallas. And that's, that's a perfect example of a fighter who started with everybody in the farm system. You know, just a little kid walked in the gym, wondering how to box. You know, and he liked it. He stayed with it. You know, because there's a lot of kids who come into the boxing business, you know, thinking about, oh, I'm going to do this, this. But then when you see the, the training regimen of a boxer, you know, this is just you by yourself. You're not with a team. It's it's depends how far you go. It's how hard you put in the work. And that's one thing that Earl has done. He has put in hard work to get to where he's at now you know and just stay focused don't let his head get big he'll be a champion for many many a year to come and he'll put on many big fights with big paydays you know if he just keeps his head on straight and keeps looking forward and just you know what are you hearing about his comeback uh, is he gonna be all right yeah he's, he's all right he's they say he's ready and they're looking for an early spring comeback date you no know, they were looking at january but I think they just pushed it back a month or two. Uh, because Early spring already? Yes. Considering what, what happened? Yeah, because yeah, there was no, no major damage, you know, no head injury. Uh, as, you know, what we've heard, you know. As, as, this is nothing official, but, you know. Yeah, nothing official. Uh, yeah, but I remember they were talking about having January, and they said, oh, they pushed a couple months, so probably early spring. But I'll see it on paper. That's when I believe it. Yeah, exactly. Well, supposedly he's going to be here in Texas. And yeah, Jerry, Jerry wants him. I mean, that uh, the the whole Cowboys Stadium, uh, they really welcome uh, Errol. And uh, his his fan club came out that day versus Mikey Garcia. Uh, Mikey Garcia, another great fighter out there. I uh, respect and, and and love to watch you fight. Um, last question for all the MMA guys, all the MMA fans out there. MMA in Texas. Is it, is, is it a pretty strong fan base? And everywhere you go uh, for an MMA fight, how was that reaction from the crowd uh, whenever, uh, you know, uh, there's a title fight? Well, Texas is, uh, is, is a great state to have combat sports because you got your boxing fan, then you got your MMA fan. You could have an MMA show in the same town as a boxing show, and both shows will be well representative with fans because it's two different fan bases. We've had promoters who try to cross, you know, have MMA fights with boxing fights or boxing fights with MMA fights to drive, draw in both uh, uh, audiences. And yes, it's worked, but when it's one-on-one, I mean, in the same town, 
they're well represented, whether it's a boxing event or an MMA event. Wow, that's a lot of good information. I know a lot of my friends are they're into the MMA. I'm still into the boxing. I've I've got a lot of cousins that are into the boxing. So, uh, boxing and MMA combative sports is doing really good in the state of Texas. You heard it here from uh, Greg. You see him ringside at all of the big events, small events. But look for, look out for him on uh, your next pay per view event in the state of Texas. He works for TDLR, Mr. Greg Alvarez. Thank you so much, Greg, for coming on the Beat of My Drum podcast today. Anything else to say, sir? Well, thank you for having me, and uh, keep up the good work, and keep uh, you know uh, these fans coming in, listening to your show, and giving them all this great information. Thank you, Greg. And that was Greg Alvarez from the Texas Department of Licensing and Registration for Combative Sports in the state of Texas. And that wraps up episode number 16. Thank you for listening. Please give me some feedback on Instagram under at I am John Mendez and Facebook under DJJ Mendez. Talk to you soon. And remember, always march to the beat of your own drum. The Beat of My Drum Entertainment.